Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that guides us and instructs us, speaks to us. Thank you for the living word, Jesus, who teaches us um, both experientially as recipients of his love, but, but also through his, through his actual teaching uh, explicitly that he, uh, he invites us into and teaches us how to love. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would make us more loving people in all these different areas of our life. And today as we look at this idea of marriage, uh, I pray that you'd continue to um, refine us, refine us as people who love. Um, and for those who aren't married, Lord, they would feel s- empowered as well to still love others well as they look at their own life. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you guys are new, we have been in a series for a few weeks now uh, called Healthy Relationships, and we're doing kind of a two-prong approach. One is our sermons are around how to have healthy relationships. And uh, Grant taught our the very first week, phenomenal sermon, uh, the first week of the series, just this idea that the greatest commandment is loving God and loving people. And that actually we're only, we, we can only claim to love God in as much as we love people. The Bible doesn't allow us to like hate people and say, I love God. Uh, the Pharisees were big on that kind of spirituality. Uh, it's just foreign to the teaching of the New Testament. It's foreign to Paul's teaching. It's foreign to Jesus' teaching. Um, you cannot be an unloving person and claim to be spiritually mature. And so we can't separate our love for God and our love for people. First John says, if you claim to love God, but you don't love other followers of Jesus, you're a liar, which is kind of a big thing. Um, and so this series is going, okay, how do we embody the love of God that we receive? Now, another thing we learned is that we can only love to the degree that we have experienced being loved. Jamie taught two weeks ago, came from South Africa, and he taught this idea that, um, you know, hurt people hurt people, but loved people love people. And that's what the New Testament teaches. If you've experienced a love you don't deserve that is greater than you could ever imagine in Jesus, then you can give that away to others. Um, if, however, you, you haven't experienced his love, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to love to the depth that you could if you have received that love. And so we're in this series on healthy relationships. We think it's a big part of discipleship. So we're doing the sermon series. The other side of it is we're doing emotional healthy relationships in our gospel communities. It's a curriculum uh, with a ton of exercises, discussions, devotionals, teaching, all that good stuff. And so together, we just want to see our entire church grow and our ability to love each other like Jesus. And so um, so today's, ser- uh, today's message, and, and then uh, last week we started, so, so we kind of looked at initially at the beginning of the series, you know, what is this series about? It's about loving God, loving people. Then we talked about what's keeping us from loving. I taught uh, on that. Grant taught on that as well. Uh, then Jamie kind of said, this is what love actually is. We looked at the life of Jesus. And then last week, Grant started a mini-series within the series. And basically, it's um, where do we do our loving? Like, where are the spaces and places and relationships? Like, if we're actually going to love people, where do we do it? When do we do it? And so th- over these four weeks, we started last week. We're looking at these four areas. Um, we're looking at the workplace. We're looking at marriage, we're looking at parenting, and we're looking at friendship. Uh, and so today, I'm going to be looking at marriage. Next week, Jackie will be looking at parenting. Uh, and then uh, uh, two weeks from then, uh, or a week later, Julia Price will be teaching on friendship. And again, these are the spaces that we love. Like, your love has to have a context. Uh, you can't love people without a person. And where are those people at? And it's, it's for most of us, it's going to be in some of these spaces and places. And so this isn't a series on marriage, but every message in this series is going to help all of our relationships if we're willing to listen and learn. So today I will talk about marriage specifically, but there's still a lot that you can take away. So if you're not married today and you're like, what does this have to do with me? A lot of these principles will still hold up 
in other relationships, okay? There's actually very little teaching in the New Testament on marriage, on Christian marriage. We've got like eight verses. We've got a lot on relationships, though. We've got dozens of verses. And so, uh, and by the way, marriage isn't outside of those. Like, so it's like Colossians 3, like, bear with one another in love. It's like, nope, not my wife. That's for the church people. No, your wife, if you're married to a follower of Jesus, you guys are all the church people, all right? Um, and, so, uh, and so here's what I want to say. Marriage is a unique relationship, but it's not the only relationship that matters. Uh, relational skills th- that we look at today will, again, help us in a bunch of different relationships. So today, uh, but I do want to zero in on marriage, obviously, because that's what we're talking about today. So today I want to answer three questions. Uh, what is marriage? How should we relate to one another, right, in our marriages as a married couple? And then what rhythms should a married couple practice together? What, is, what are some good ideas on that? All right, so, so the first one is this. And by the way, we've done a lot of teaching over the years on marriage and the roles within marriage and God's design for marriage. Like, we've done a lot around that. Um, this series is, is meant to be pretty inherently practical. And so um, I, I did come at this from the lens of what it's about to teach about this, but also as a pastor over these last five to ten years, as a lot of you guys have dated or gotten married, or when I sit down with people who are struggling in their marriages, what tends to come up a lot? And so I want to um, come at that from that angle a little bit, kind of pastor us today. Um, and so the, first, so, so the first problem that I often see is that people are unclear on what marriage is. Uh, and here's the problem. If you don't understand what, what, uh, what something's for, you can misuse it. And they get frustrated that it's not doing what you want it to do. Uh, when Jackie and I decided to plant this church 12, almost 13 years ago now, um, we were nomads, essentially. Uh, we were going to go move to the Bay Area, uh, take this mega church job. Uh, we decided at the last minute not to do that. felt like God spoke to us. I'm glad we did that. This feels like it seemed like it was the right thing to do. Uh, today, 13 years later, at the time, it was very scary. And we were living out of a suitcase. Like, literally, we had two suitcases. Uh, we lived with, like, seven. We lived in seven houses in about five months with a one-year-old kid. So, uh, and, and during that time, I'm not trying to impress you the sacrifice. I, I just want to say it was very messy and, and like, intense. And, uh, and there was times where, again, we, we often would have one bedroom with Clive, and we don't want to wake him up. And so often we wouldn't turn the lights on. And I remember one day, I was one t- uh, there was a day we were going to a wedding, and Clive was taking a nap, and Jackie's like, do you, and you guys, have, if you have a kid, she's like, do not turn the lights on. Get ready. Do not turn the lights on. Your hair's fine. I didn't even have a ton of hair then. You know, it's, it's, they said like a two on top. Just like, you just comb it forward. You're fine. And didn't have a beard, none of that, you know, whatever. But, uh, but one thing I didn't want to do, you know, I don't want to have funky breath. And so in the dark, I just like pull out the toothpaste. I get it going. And I'm doing my best to brush my teeth. And uh, very quickly, there's a problem. Very quickly, the toothpaste does not taste good. So I just pop out. We got a one-year-old kid. I pop out to the living room where there is a light on and I have put uh, my son's, it's called butt paste. That was actually what it was called. <laughs> it was a diaper rash cream and I like had that all over my teeth. All right. I hope Jackie, I don't know how she applied it at that time, but I hope it, there wasn't a lot of contact and then contact, but I, I'm alive today, guys. I made it. I don't need to overthink that. Um, but, but, but here's the idea. Um, that's a terrible toothpaste. Tremendous rash cream. Okay. Um, if you think something's designed for one thing that it's not designed for, you will be constantly frustrated, even think it's broken, if you actually think it's designed to do the thing that it's not doing. And marriage, I see this all the time, both in uh, early on as someone's uh, about to get married and then into their marriage. I see that we have so many false 
beliefs about marriage in our culture, in our world, and even in the church, and, and in our personal narratives, right? So, so we have cultural narratives from our culture. We have our, our, our family of origin narratives from our family. Um, we have our personal narrative tied to our own pain, trauma, fear, uh, all that stuff. Uh, we've got sinful desires, and then we've got the world saying something, and then we have bad teaching in the church sometimes, which leads to like a real gross marriage smoothie of ideas, uh, so, by the way, some of these ideas are good, maybe. Hopefully some of them are. Some of them are bad, okay? Um, uh, but oftentimes I find that the smoothie just gets weird. It's like there's some healthy, it's like Jamba Juice back in the day. It's like there's fruit in here, but there's a lot of sugar, right? It's a lot of stuff that's not good for you. And so your understanding of what it is really impacts how you experience it, how you show up in it, and where you go. And so it's important to just talk about what marriage is, okay? So, and I think one of the ways to do that from a compare-contrast standpoint is just to talk about what marriage isn't to start, Okay, so what marriage isn't, and I have a couple of these. Uh, the first one is this, is uh, uh, marriage isn't a relationship that completes you. Like Jerry Maguire, you have to decide, Jerry Maguire or Jesus, who are you going to trust? Uh, it, it doesn't complete you or give you meaning or meets all your needs. To ask you to do that is, is problematic. So again, some of us believe the lie that if, if we had someone who, who loved us romantically and agreed to live with us, uh, for a long time, that that would deal with all of our insecurity and loneliness. Like, it would all go away in an instant. Like, I'd be completely whole in my identity. I'd have no insecurity, and I'd always feel loved and cared for and seen. But again, people who bring that level of expectation of their marriage get into trouble quick. Because if you expect uh, one person to meet all of your emotional, relational, or spiritual needs, again, you, you'll crush them. And you'll always be discontent. Does that make sense? Um, again, and here's the problem is, is we're, we're conned into believing that marriage can do this. Um, again, uh, sex and romance and marriage. So both sides of that. Uh, we live in a culture that's made an idol of sex and romantic love. It's every song. It's too many movies. Uh, again, it's like, uh, Jamie mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's like even like hardcore action movies have like a, a love story you didn't need for the plot. Because we're just like, without it, you know, what is life? Um, uh, it, it's also why believing in any sexual ethic that extends beyond two consenting adults is considered oppressive in our culture. Because we have turned sex into air. You need it. It's breathing. If you cannot have sex with whoever you want, you, right, you're in trouble. Uh, you can't make it. And it's not like air. Many people have lived without it for a long time, and they're okay. Um, this guy named Jesus did pretty well. The Apostle Paul did pretty well. Um, we can go on and on. Now, that's kind of our culture. Sex and romance is kind of the idol of the culture. At the same time, the church in the, uh, the American evangelical church especially uh, made an idol of the nuclear family, right? Uh, I, I, like, you know, focus on the family. Family, what, like, like family, family, family. It's like, look out, Jesus, here comes family. Was kind of where the church went for a while. And it was almost like if, if you, until you're married with kids, you're not really human. You're not really a fully developed Christian or human. And we turned marriage and biological kids into air. Like you need it to, to, to be alive, to be fully human. And that's not true either. And so we put way too much pressure on romance and marriage to do something for it, which it cannot do. Gary Thomas, in his remarkable book, Sacred Marriage, he says, marriage doesn't solve emptiness, it exposes it. If someone can't live without you, 
he or she will never be happy living with you either. And so marriage can't remove all of your insecurity and loneliness. Can't meet all of your needs. Um, it's also not a space that's primary purpose. The second thing, it's not, a, it's not a space that's primary purpose is to make you feel better about yourself all the time. Okay? This might sound silly. Very few people say this out loud. Like, what do you think marriage is? It's a space for me to feel good all the time about me. But when you get into, like, why people struggle, like, why they're frustrated with their spouses, it's basically, they don't make me feel good about me. Um, so it's kind of this implicit underlying message. Again, it's likely that your spouse will sin against you more than anyone else in, the, in your life, in your lifetime. Let's say the history of your life and uh, your entire relational career. Uh, your, your, your spouse is going to sin against you the most. Uh, you will get more practice forgiving them than you will uh, anyone else. You're going to get great practice in together. Uh, you will practice apologizing to them more than anyone else. By the way, if you're never apologizing or asking for forgiveness from your spouse, something is wrong. That's not the sign of a healthy marriage. It's like, we never fight. It's like, cool, you don't know each other. Um, either you're proud and you cannot admit wrongdoing, or you're not actually intimately connected where you know each other enough to experience each other's downside. By the way, neither of those are a goal. But, but either way, once you get through that stuff, you need to know that, 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 that asking for forgiveness and apologizing aren't practices that make you feel great about you. They should be liberating and freeing when you confess something and you release it. And if you're with a godly spouse, they, they, they love you. They forgive you. You get to move forward in freedom and joy. Confess to God. Confess to them. But it's, it's not like, man, I'm, in, I'm an amazing. You know? It's like, no, I, I'm seeing some spaces where I'm not amazing. Again, sometimes why people reject their spouses, they want a divorce. Uh, it's because you're showing me the thing about me I don't want to see. Does that make sense? Uh, stand-up comedian John Mulaney, an uh, old stand-up, I remember he used to say, middle school kids are the meanest people in the world because they, 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 they when they make fun of you, they make fun of you accurately. And he said, they get to the thing that you hate about you. Uh, marriage can be, it's like you know the real me, the thing I'm most insecure about, you know, and you see it. There's times Jackie's dropped some lines on me, not even mean. She just noticed things that I thought I was cool enough to, I thought she didn't still see. It's like, I know you do that, whatever it is. Embarrassing habit. She's like, I know. Um, that's truth. That's true of your sin. It's true of uh, y your emotional reactivity. All that stuff pops up. You know, like, you, you know, you do this. And so instead of seeing that as a gift to go, I'm, I'm being invited by the triune God into a sanctification process, a, a process of growth and development, we go, I don't want to grow and develop, so I can just reject, I can just, if I break the mirror, the reflection's fine. But in actuality, I'm still me. You're just reminding me I'm me. And that's humbling. So again, marriage isn't a space to make you feel good about yourself all the time. Because you bring your sin and the pain from your past and your family of origin and your trauma and all that, and you spill it on each other all the time if you're in close relationship. You're carrying these cups around. Now, you're learning how to spill less, how to clean up well, how to, like, avoid bumping into each other. Like, healthy marriage, you're learning to do that better. But you're not coming in with an empty cup. Like, we should, like, just make a good drink together. It's like, you got a lot of wild stuff in here. It's not always going to make you feel good about you. Uh, another thing is uh, marriage is not, biblically, it's not a short relationship that I stay in when it's convenient for me. Again, we're going to get into what marriage is in a second, but part of its design is to reflect the commitment of Jesus Christ to his church 
And Jesus is not a fair-weather friend or a lately lover. He is covenanted to and committed to us through thick and thin. So that means marriage isn't like, a, oh, man, I'm feeling this right now. You're making me feel good about me, or you're not. It's, it's consistent. On the flip side of that, by the way, um, marriage is designed pre-fall, I believe, is a lifelong committed relationship. But we did have this thing called the fall that happens. You might have heard of it. Kind of a big deal. All the brokenness in the world is connected to it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, big event. Uh, Genesis 3 has happened, and, and that means that a couple different things. That means that, that people die, which they weren't designed to do. That means that people sin, which they weren't designed to do. That means we're going to be wounded by people and their sin, which our souls weren't designed to receive. And so um, that means that there are times where the marriage cannot go a lifetime or should not go a lifetime. And, th and there is, um, Grant preached a little sermon on divorce and remarriage. If you want a lot of information, I don't have enough time to, to do the backstory on that, but if you have questions about that, I uh, can't encourage you enough to, to, to listen to that. But I do want to say this, marriage is not a space, it's not a long relationship of ongoing abuse. So what you can do is you can take the teaching that, that marriage is supposed to be as permanent as it can be, and you can go, um, that's always true, even in cases where it's not fulfilling its purpose and it's missing God's mark. So in situations of abuse and abandonment and, inf and infidelity, uh, but especially ongoing physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse, those are absolutely incompatible with marriage. And if they're going on, something different than what marriage is designed to be is happening. So you can even argue it's not a marriage anymore. It's now, now, if you think that might be where you're at, we can't encourage you enough. Um, we have a pastoral care and counseling forum. If you want to read uh, our, our, um, our triage coordinator, Ashley Stromich, the clinical psychologist, you can get confidential care. Uh, if you're uncomfortable coming to us uh, as elders, if you, want, if you trust us as elders, you want to talk to us, we would love to help you with that. Uh, you should not be suffering alone if this is the, the situation you think you're in. Um, definitely want to talk to uh, a licensed therapist if you can. Like, like you, you really want to make sure that that thing is safe. So marriage is not a space for that either. Uh, marriage also is not the only relationship that matters. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever had this before. Th it is uh, a relationship of priority. It's a marriage. It's a relationship of exclusivity in a certain way. Uh, there's components to marriage that you only have with marriage, right? Um, there's kids in the room. It's, getting, it's a little, it's tricky. Uh, but, right, you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's a physical aspect, physical intimacy aspect to marriage um, that isn't true in other relationships. Um, so, so there's a, a uniqueness to marriage that is truly unique, However, um, I don't know if you guys ever had this. Back in the day, me and, my, me, me, me and Joe, we had some friends. Uh, whenever they got a girlfriend, they were gone. Like, they, we need to do a wellness check with the police. And we're not big fans of the police, right? Like, at the time. Like, 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 it was just like, man, I'm worried about, so, right? Because, um, again, they found everything in this relationship. Or, I mean, it wasn't going well, but they were all. And then, it's crazy. It's like they're a hostage. Or, bad analogy right now. Um, they're, they've been freed somehow. They break up, and now they're like, man, what's up, guys? We're all friends here. I'm like, you're, you're alive. <laughs> it's like, were you resurrected? Did you die? Did you pull a Jesus? Like, did you not tell us? Um, and, and again, some people can do that even in their marriages. It's like, this is all that matters. Uh, we don't have any space for other people. Uh, sometimes that's, you know, you made an your spouse. Sometimes there's shame about the state of the marriage. It's like, I don't want to have anyone over for dinner. I don't want them to see what this is. And that's a whole other thing. If you feel that way, we'd love to, to help you or get you help. But again, uh, it's not the only reason that matters. If you do that, you're going to put way too much pressure on it. 
uh, if that makes sense. Uh, there's times um, where your spouse isn't the best person to process something about emotionally with. Like, they, they have their own stuff going on that day. It can be good to call a good friend and go, hey, hey, man, can I, you know, hey, girl, whatever. Like, this thing happened. So, uh, again, you should be sharing emotionally with your spouse. I'm just saying they're not the only person you can do that with. Uh, marriage is also, it's another one I see often. Marriage is also not two individuals who maintain all of their individual schedules, preferences, goals, financial patterns, and pre-marriage lifestyles. Like, we leave and cleave to one another, Genesis says. Um, we're not like, oh, we're going um, to, like, walk alongside each other and, like, high-five every once in a while. It's two lives becoming a life. And I see this often where people are like, I'm going to kind of do the same stuff I did before I was married and never ask my spouse how they feel about it and kind of live like I was a, I'm a single person, but I'm married. Um, and you can guess, this doesn't go well. Uh, it might sound goofy, but you'll, you'll be surprised. And again, it's not an explicit thing they say. I'm married and I live just like a single person. That's like my ethos for life. But when you get into the, like how they live their life, it's like, oh, you still do your own thing in all these areas. Again, if in marriage, we really do move from me to we. It's not the same as it was before. You can't go away on trips at the drop of a hat with your friends without talking to your spouse about it. You shouldn't be making significant purchases without talking to your spouse about it. You shouldn't be blocking out weekend days for yourself without working on that with your spouse. Like, are we hanging? We're not. Why? Because I'm still single on the inside, you know? I identify as single on the weekend or whatever. It's, guys, it's so common in our culture, like a big, <laughs> it's crazy. Even outside the church, they talk about, like, people don't want to sacrifice what they want. Again, we're a culture addicted to what I want and expressing it. I need to express whatever's inside of me. I got to live out my truth or whatever. And your truth, like, it conflicts with the other false truth. You're, you're in trouble. So um, it, it's, a, it's a problem. Now, again, biblically, we can, we can know. No, we're called to cleave because, again, we, know, we can know what marriage is. And then the last one I want to hit, uh, marriage is not a sign that you have made it or are more accomplished than those who are single. Like, at all. Uh, single people are forced to endure a lot of awkward interactions with married people. Uh, married people are often trying to hook them up as if there's something wrong with them. Right? You haven't asked. Can you imagine how insulting it would be if you sat down for dinner with someone? They're like, we're trying to get you a new job, man. Like, why? I mean, come on. You can't love the job you're in now. <laughs> You're like, what? I like my, I like my job. You know, my, I think my job's fun. What's wrong with my job? Come on, man. Right? And that's what it can be like to be a single person sometimes. It's like you can't enjoy being single. Like you need, you need help, right? You need my help, right? Um, I read a story this week that made me laugh about a guy who um, was constantly, uh, <laughs> the way he describes it is little old ladies at his church were constantly trying to like set him up with like their granddaughters. And he said there was a phrase they would use in, in, in every time they'd be at a wedding with people from church. Um, the little ladies would say, don't worry, you're next. And he said to get him off his back, they had a funeral, and he said, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the story is true or not. It just cracked me up. Paul says um, there's some real privileges to being single. He was a single man. Uh, our country has gone through a pretty dramatic shift. In America, nearly half of all adults are single, okay? If we're going to make disciples, we've got to, to, to walk with single people, and single people need to play a pivotal role in what's happening in the church. Now, again, there are reasons for this that can be bad. In the global West, most singles aren't remaining single so they can, like, have a sincere, sincere like, commitment to Jesus. 
Like it's, it's undivided devotion. Um, but in the church, that often can and should be a reality. You actually do have more time for Jesus and for the, th- and for the things he's calling you to. So Paul says singleness is a gift God gives to some. It might be a temporary thing while God's doing something else in you, but it's super important. Again, never forget Jesus, kind of a big deal in the church, single his whole life. The Apostle Paul, kind of a big deal, single. One commentator put it this way, he said, every time you pray, you're praying to a man who died as a single young adult. About that. Often the church is like, real men have a family. Grown-ups have a family in that way. Again, we're, we're made for relationship, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be marriage. You know, a lot of times we talk about singleness as if marriage is kind of like the spiritual superior state. And if, it's, if you're single, it's because you're not ready for it yet. But that's not true. Uh, marriage is not superior It's not the most important thing. As a matter of fact, marriage is a picture or a shadow of the ultimate thing, which is Jesus. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 says this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And all throughout the New Testament, Paul gives this idea that marriage is a temporary sign that helps people understand who Jesus is. Jesus makes it clear when we die in heaven, there's not going to be marriage anymore. In one way, we're all going to be single. Like we're going to be, no one's going to have the spouse they had on earth. And we're all going to be married to Jesus. And I don't you can get weird with that, but like, like y- your most important relationship will be Jesus. He will, he will function in your life with a grace and intimacy and power. He will complete you. And so marriage is designed to point to a higher reality. So marriage is designed to be a lifelong union between a husband and a wife that reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church to the watching world. That when people watch your marriage, they, by the way that we love one another, the way that we serve one another in our marriages, embrace one another, sacrifice for one another, pursue one another, forgive one another, people will understand something of who Jesus is and what his character is and what he's all about. The purpose for marriage, by the way, wasn't something God added after marriage existed. The Trinity weren't in heaven thousands of years ago. Like, how can we communicate our love to humans with an institution that already exists? Right? It wasn't like a create, like, hey, guys, there's no bad ideas. This is a safe space for soft thinking. So we'll crack open a, a light beer, right? Like the research says, a light beer, y- you have your, all your cognitive function, but you feel freed up to think outside the box, right? We're, uh, right? I remember James Gutierrez, he's our creative director when we launched it, or sort of South by now. He used to um, always tell me and Brad, you guys are, everyone's creative, even you guys. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit spoke up and was like, humans, humans are really into marriage. We should use this as an illustration for our relationship with our people, right? And if I was like, brilliant, this is so on brand with what we're trying to do here. Jesus is high-fiving, like, this is going to sell. No, it's actually the opposite. In a desire for humanity to understand what God was like, he created marriage as a picture 
a very imperfect, temporary picture. Marriage exists to communicate the character of Jesus to the world. And when we see him in his fullness, again, we won't need marriage anymore. That's why there won't be marriage in heaven. When the real thing is here, you don't need the picture anymore. I'm going to India on Thursday. Uh, the team from our family of churches, see Maria and, and her crew. Um, and uh, one of the things that I do a lot when I travel is I, I watch videos of my kids. And I look at pictures of my own of you guys have experienced it if your parents. Uh, you just watch, you know, people you miss. You, you kind of do that. Um, what I have never done, that's happened to me often in air power, uh, airport, uh, what do you call them? Whatever they are, the, where the gates are. What, terminal, yeah. This has happened to me in airport terminals. This happened to me in hotel rooms. This happened to me staying at people's houses in South Africa and Dubai and stuff. Like, that's pretty common for me to look at the picture. It's never been common that when I walk in the door after a trip and Olivia's like, Dad, I'm so happy to see you. I'm like, hold on, Liv. This video of you. Wow. She's like, Dad. I'm like, no, this video. This is it, right? Your, your peak cuteness was four. Sorry, girl. Not into this. No, I'm like, the, uh, this is actually meaningless now. You're here. Never been on a date night watching videos of my wife ignoring her. Okay? Marriage, I again, uh, again, a picture is helpful, but when you're in the presence of the real thing, that's what matters. This is also why singles shouldn't feel second rate. Because it's, it's a shadow, it's temporary. But also, marriage is designed to do something that also the church is called to do. The entire church, which married Christians are a part of. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That sounds pretty similar to what Christian marriage is designed to do. Do you guys agree? The way that you love each other, people will see who Jesus is. So again, understanding what marriage is can help us from making mistakes like expecting too much of our marriage or leaving too soon or tolerating a toxic, abusive relationship. When we see that marriage is all about helping people see the love of Jesus clearly, it helps us understand um, what marriage is for, which impacts what we can expect of it, how long we should stay in it, and how, should we, how we should be treated and treat each other. It's all dependent on the goal of making Jesus seem the most beautiful. So that's what marriage is all about. Number two, if let's say you are married, or you're thinking about getting married, it's probably good to know, like, how should we relate to one another in our marriage? And um, a concept that's been really helpful for me with relationships in general, but especially with marriage, is the concept of a performance-based relationship and a grace-based relationship. So, do you, so, so what I'm saying, how do you relate? I mean, what's the basis for how you relate to one another? Is it your performance, or is it grace? Now, a performance-based marriage is one where we withhold love based on how well we think the other person is performing. It's also one where we feel a lot of pressure to perform for love or acceptance. Now, the caveat on that, that second statement, like we feel the pressure, sometimes that's our own stuff we're bringing into the marriage. I've seen plenty of that, too. But either way, it's, it's one where we're constantly um, evaluating, have you done good enough to receive my love? Again, you never say this out loud, right? Like, like are, are you doing enough to make me feel like you're, you, you deserve me or whatever? So it's all about how well you're doing, and it could be in all kinds of areas. It could be um, 
it could be um, how you handle your emotions. It could be um, how you dress. It could be your, your physical appearance. It could be the way you're communicating. It could be how, mu- how often you remember to do things that you said you would do or you were never asked to do whole other, th- right, like whole other thing we can get into with expectations. Um, but, but, but like you're constantly kind of feel like you're walking on eggshells and it's kind of a, a, a reciprocal eggshell situation. Now, caveat on the performance-based thing, I just want to say, you might treat someone differently because they've broken trust. That's different than withholding love, okay? Grace can include consequences because grace is about power outside of yourself giving you what you need. So I'm not talking about trusting them again regardless of how they show up. I'm talking about punishing someone to make them feel what you felt. That's off the table for Christians. Going, I don't trust you with an area, so we've got to figure this out. There needs to be boundaries and other people speaking into it. That's a different thing than I want, I want you to feel pain because I feel pain. And not just I want that, I'm acting on that. I'm moving in that. Or you let me down, I'm going to make you feel bad about it. Or I'm going to keep score. That's a big performance-based thing. Uh, you were late this one time uh, or whatever, and then you know, someone's mad, and then you go, well, you were late. You know, it's like this whole like, back and forth, uh, whose uh, who's job's harder or more important. These are all performance-based conversations that have no place in Christian marriages. So I'm not talking about trusting them. I'm talking about punishing them or trying to make them feel less than. It's also not allowing them to do reparative work when they mess up. Uh, at, with connected families, we talked about it, the do-over thing, if you guys were there. Uh, man, that's also helpful in marriages. Uh, I've done it a few times with Jackie. I've even done it once with Grant. Uh, so so it, it can be helpful, right? Uh, I, I was the one who didn't show up well, for the record. He was great, and I was, like, getting weird. Um, but... But you go, hey, I don't like the way I showed up right now. I want to redo that, man. Like that's, you know, whatever it is or, or, or girl or whatever. Um, but not allowing reparative work to happen, not accepting apologies. Uh, also, uh, you're on your own to figure it out. You got to perform your way out of the thing. So here's what I've learned uh, a lot the last two years um, uh, around grace has been really helpful to me is grace. Uh, we often think of it as unmerited favor, which is true. It is that. It's unmerited favor, Right. That's God's, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, Ephesians 2. Like, like it's like you were given something you don't deserve. But it's not just favor. It also comes with power. And uh, actually, the majority of the times grace is talked about in the New Testament, it's about the power to grow and change that you don't have in, inside of yourself to overcome sin and temptation and become a new person. So grace is favor outside of you that you don't deserve and power outside of you that empowers you to do what you could not do on your own. In a, in a, in a grace-based marriage, you're experiencing favor you don't deserve, and we're helping each other do things we couldn't do on our own. D- does that make sense? Saying, I give you favor you don't deserve, and I come alongside you to help you to do what you cannot do on your own. Grace-based, mar- grace-based marriage is one where we treat someone how Jesus has treated us. Um, one concept in this grace performance thing that's been really helpful for me um, is this idea, this, this quote was really helpful to me. It's the idea of thinking in terms of offense when someone's let you down or thinking in terms of rescue. And this is wh- what the author writes. Um, it says, when your spouse is struggling and it's manifesting in a short temper, gloominess, distance, or even just a thoughtlessness, think of them as having fallen into a ditch and being unable to get out. How would it sound for you to say, how'd you fall into that ditch again? Are you just dumb? And you look pathetic. The way you're trying to get out 
if you ever if you ever do get out and clean yourself up, come talk to me. You wouldn't say this. You would throw them a rope or do what you could to help them get out of that ditch. Rescue, which is an act of grace, brings about change, but condemnation and contempt can kill a marriage. Remember the words of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. In a performance-based marriage, that's where you live. It's like you're on your own. But a beautiful gift of a, of a, a grace-based marriage is that we have someone to help us when we fall. Love, sacrifice, grace, and pursuit, loving like Jesus does, are much more effective change agents in the life of your spouse than nagging or scolding. Think about it. Have you and your spouse ever experienced a major breakthrough because you stayed on them long enough that they caved and started doing things your way? <laughs> Do you know any couple who from the, who for, for whom the catalyst for life and joy in the relationship was chastisement? As scripture says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The most likely result of a knee-jerk, fleshly response is a downward spiral that will take the two of you even longer to recover from. So choose grace. Maybe this looks like giving your spouse some space, jumping in and taking a task off their plate, loving them in the way that they like to be loved, or responding with gentleness rather than defensiveness. Whatever it looks like, choose to see your spouse's struggles an opportunity to go on mission with Jesus. Let love cover a multitude of sins. Move toward your spouse, praying to God in the moment for direction on how to love them well. Choose to put Jesus on display. Recognize your awesome privilege as your spouse's life partner to help them in their sanctification. Point them to God as you love them unconditionally. And give yourself grace. Remember, remember that your struggle is not against your spouse. You are contending against dark powers and principalities that seek to destroy you and your spouse and your marriage so that it cannot reflect Jesus' love to the world. Loving this way is countercultural and probably counter you. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> this idea is counter me. It's not natural to continue pursuing when you're offended. Getting used to the rescue mentality will take some practice. We want you to know you don't say any of this as people who nail it 100% of the time. Choosing grace still feels a lot like a choice a lot of the time for us. So do you operate um, in a grace-based marriage or a performance-based marriage? By the way, last thing I want to say before we move to the last point. Um, grace isn't tolerating ongoing egregious sin. Okay? You might hear that quote and go, oh, okay, spouse has a addiction they're not dealing with or they're being abusive. Again, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Um, grace, grace doesn't mean tolerating um, deception, addiction, or infidelity. Um, enabling these sins, by the way, is not wise or biblical or the way that God deals with us in his grace. Okay? Grace calls sin, sin, forgives, and goes, let's get you help. That's what the gospel is. Jesus goes, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not just forgiving you. That's an incomplete gospel. I'm going to forgive you and come alongside you to make sure you can become the person you're designed to be. It's not like, I forgive you, do whatever you want till you die. That might be some, like, church's message. That's not the message of the New Testament. So grace isn't sweeping things under the rug. It's calling them out and working on them because you want what's best for your spouse, because you don't want marriage to reflect Jesus where it doesn't currently. Again, it's favor, from, uh, it's favor someone doesn't deserve and helping them deal with what they could not deal with on their own, which means encouraging them to get the help they need. Does that make sense? It's not 
tolerance of terrible sin. Last, and then lastly, um, so how do you guys relate? Is, is it tied to grace? Is it tied to performance? Um, last one is what rhythms um, uh, should you practice together? Like what's, what's some good ideas? Um, this is super practical, but I think it's important. Uh, a couple of them. Um, first one is sharing your hearts with each other. Uh, I'd recommend time each week, if, if you're married, to share your hearts with each other. Uh, you might go, how do we do that? I don't know how to do that. Um, uh, again, we've been doing the most healthy uh, relationships curriculum. Uh, a really helpful one can be something basic uh, like doing the emotional snapshot, right? The, the mad, sad, glad, anxious, or as Nicole Pham coined, could be bad, right? Mad, sad, glad, could be bad. Hashtag branding, it rhymes. Um, but basically it's to help you, you know, you know, take 10 minutes, write that out, and then sit down. Um, I'll talk about assumptions in a, sec- a second in marriage. Um, but assumptions often are connected to we think our spouse feels some type of way about us, and then we start making moves based on what we think they're thinking, and they're not thinking it, and it's like the end of a sitcom, but it's your life, and it's terrible, not funny, <laughs> all right? So, um, so it's important to, to, to share your hearts, to take time each week, to just say, and again, not even just about each other, like in general, is there anything you're anxious about right now? By the way, you know why? That helps me love you. The Bible says husbands are called to love their wife like Christ loves the church. Um, I can't love you even sacrificially if I don't know what you need. Does that make sense? My dad had a, um, a spinal surgery this week, and his back hurt and all this stuff. Um, if I didn't know that, I went to see him yesterday. He's out of the hospital, and I was home. He, everything went good. Um, but I went in, and if I didn't know he had had the surgery, it would have been really natural for me and for Calvin who went with me. You know Calvin. To j- Calvin would have jumped on him. I would give him a big hug, which postpon- it's like not super helpful, right? I'm trying to love you, right? So, so again, I can't love you well. I'm just trying to love you well, Dad, right? Again, I have to know you to love you well. I can't know you if you don't share what's going on with me. Uh, Often, when I sit with married couples, uh, I'll hear one of them go, I shouldn't have to ask for this thing I want. And I'm not talking about, like, maintaining fidelity, not stealing from them, not abusive stuff. I'm not talking, it's like, they should know the way the toilet roll should go. And that, right, that's like, that's the way it is, because Stone Gold said so. You know, I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's, it, and I said, go ahead, that's not, like, right, they should just, I shouldn't have to ask them to clean this room one day a week. It's like, in the words of Jerry Scazzaro, that is a lie from the pit of hell, right? <laughs> and it is, man. It's like, if you want to keep having the same thing, keep doing this. But it's not loving to not share what you want, even. Does that make sense? Now, I might not always be able to do it, but at least... If I don't do it, I, 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 acknowledge, I can acknowledge that or I can apologize or I can say I just can't do it this week and you're not let down. You understand because there's something going on that impedes me from doing that instead of this ongoing resentment where you're like, you're not doing that thing that you should know to do, right? So share your hearts, right? Again, I think the emotional snapshot's great. You can also do high lows. Um, pretty much every day at our house we do high lows. Um, if, if I'm home for dinner, we're doing dinner as a family. We do it with our kids, and it's amazing. Like, they learn to grow to share their, their, emo- their emotions and their day. Is there anything you were sad about today? Anything that made you happy today? Anything that made you laugh today? It's just doing that kind of thing. Um, by the way, how many of you guys have great memories? Very, very few of you think you do. Um, and I assume that, right? Most people don't think they have good memories. Um, so, like, when someone goes, hey, how was your week? I don't know if you've ever done this with someone. You're like, how was your week? And they're like, right? You think you would have asked them, like, calculus question and they haven't taken care like it's just like i don't know D- i'm not hating on you for that um that's why it's good to like check in daily hey how was your day today 
Does that make sense? But share your hearts um, daily or weekly. I would say if you want to do a weekly one, that's awesome. Um, you know, 20, 30 minutes, but, but, but space to like go, here's what's going on in my life in general. How can, I, how can I help you and pray for you, right? And then here's what's going on in my life. Here's how you can help and pray for me. So sharing your hearts is just, it's so basic, but few of us make the time to do it. And 45 minutes a week would go a long way. Um, another one is just weekly fun time together. Th- again, this sounds really practical, but I'd be, I'm surprised how often people don't get dates. And I'm not just talking about like date night or you get a babysitter and go spend a bunch of money. I'm talking like it could be just time together that's fun. You can watch a movie together. You can play a game. You can um, w- uh, uh, do something that your spouse is interested in that you wouldn't normally do. Like take a bike ride, paddleboard. Play a board game. I hate board games. Some people love board games, right? Um, it could be. I have a, uh, we have a couple in our church where, uh, I won't get into that, but um, yeah, they just play, like one of them's in a video game, the other one plays it with them, and they're not that into it or whatever. But, but like, like time to have fun together and, and try different things together. Um, it could be going on a walk, going on a hike, but just like time for you, that's fun, okay? Because sharing your, here's the thing, the sharing your hearts together thing, that's great, but it can be kind of intense sometimes. And if that's always intentional, like one-on-one time, so intense. And then you start to create a, a like, oh, man, does that make sense? But you go, hey, actually, right, it's a fun zone right now. We're not doing the sharing our hearts right now. We're going to laugh. We're going to listen to music we like. We're going to drink a drink we like. We're going to have some food we like, whatever it is. So, um, so man, weekly time together, both for fun and to share your hearts. Um, uh, another thing um, is just getting on the same page uh, and so having a time where you talk about your week. Um, this could be the same time that you share your hearts, depending on how it goes. But, man, just basic stuff like schedules, finances, um, events you're expected to go to. Um, again, some of a lot of fights that happen, a lot of couples, it's just they're not communicating about that. And they're like, hey, are you excited for that birthday we're going to today? You're like, I'm, I, I have a college final. I don't know. And they're like, what? Yeah, I'm in grad school. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Also, um, are you still good to give my mom a ride to the airport in an hour? It's like, I'm going to be at the birthday. You're like, cool story, right? So, so uh, again, that happens to like, and that might be, whatever. I, I should have thought of a better illustration for that. But that happens all the time. And it's like, why does this keep happening? It's because like, we never talk about the things that we're going to do. And again, just to have that um, is really, really good. And then um, I have two more um, this one's tied to, um, uh, say this one's tied to physical intimacy for parents in the room. If you have kids in the room, if you want to make a move, it's up to you. Um, but physical intimacy and communicating about it. Okay. Now this is a layered complex topic. Um, so I'm not going to get uh, prescriptive at all about like how often that should be happening, what moves you should use or whatever. Like I'm not going to do like some pastors have gotten pretty weird with the books they've written and like, you know, um, but here's what I'll say. It never happening does mean something isn't what it's supposed to be. Like it never happening. I'm not even saying it's someone's fault. It could be taught. You could have physiological stuff going on, one of you. Uh, it could be connected to trauma in your past. It could be connected into insecurity or fear about your body image. It could be connected to um, there's a big difference in desire, and it always leads to arguments, and so you avoid this topic. It could be connected to sexual sin, and someone's viewing stuff on the, like it can be connected to a lot of things um i i don't think you can have a healthy marriage where we, go, we just never do that kind of thing uh i i struggle uh, to see that as right now i'm not again i hope i've qualified enough there, there's a lot of different reasons and they're not always a choice you make they're not always your fault um but it's something to pay attention to um and, and get help if you need it uh, uh so for example where there is differing desire 
um, you should be able to talk about that. And if you can't talk about that, you should get help. Like you, it'd be a good thing to talk to a therapist about like, if it's just like, hey, we never, you know, I always feel used or, or like pressured or I feel like it never happened. Like that's something that is a tender, hard conversation and one that it could be really good, again, to have like a therapist help you with. But to go, we're going to kick it for 20 years and leave that alone. Um, I don't think that'll grow something healthy long term. Does that make sense? Um, by the way, uh, in marriage, uh, in general, sex is designed to be mutually pleasurable, honoring, and intimate. Mutually pleasurable, honoring, and intimate, okay? So if it's not those three things, again, you want to, uh, like, talk about why. And if you can't talk about why, it could be good to get help. Um, but physical intimacy is important, and communicating about it is important. Um, if it's an area you're struggling in, a lot of people, by the way, are struggling with it. You're not a freak if you see a sex therapist, Christian sex therapist. You're not a freak if you have sexual brokenness in your past. We have all the stats, all the data, and we act like none of the fallouts in anyone's lives. A lot of us struggle. We're all sexually broken to a point, by the way, living in a fallen world. For some of us, there's deep pain. There's sexual abuse, sexual assaults. Um, there's sexual addiction. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, and then, then there's like small pieces of those things um, or exposure to things when you shouldn't. Like there's a whole gamut of sexual, bro there's sexual temptation and, and sin and like all of that combined um, narratives we have around sex, trauma, all that stuff. All that combined means it's going to be messy. And I just want to tell you, you're not crazy, get, but, but I would encourage you to get help. Does that make sense? doesn't mean you're bad because this is an area of struggle. It means you're human in a fallen world, and Jesus would love to help you. For some of us, even, we have this disconnected from our Christian life, our spirituality. It's like, this is like my own little <laughs> side thing. But actually, it's something Jesus can, um, not in a creepy way, but, but like, like Jesus' impact should, should matter. We should feel safer. Uh, if we're in Christ to talk about things. And if we're not, it's, it's so great to get help. And then the last one, um, it's not the, 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 sexy, the, the coolest one, uh, uh, it, but we've, and we've talked about it already in, in EHR, but I think in marriage it comes up a lot, is, man, check out assumptions you have with each other. A lot of great arguments. Uh, a lot of great arguments in the history of my marriage, probably our top five. I mean, if there was a top five list on, like, Bleacher Report, you know, the best five Heavyweight fights with Jackie and Andy. Um, they're, to the one, it's I'm telling her what her motive is, or she's telling me what my motive is, and, they're, and we're wrong, the one pointing the finger. Right? Have you ever been accused of something you actually didn't do? Or someone told you what you, were, what you meant when you said something? It's infuriating, okay? Um, way better than that is to go, hey, can I, can I ask a question? Can I check out an assumption I have? Um, you know, or, or even to say, hey, and again, I've, I've gotten better at this. Uh, I used to always think Jackie was mad at me. It was my brokenness. I attributed that to her. It wasn't fair. Uh, and so every time, you know, my counselor said, hey, you can ask her, are you mad at me? Crazy. Um, once. <laughs> once a day. Uh, like, you can ask her, and if she says no, you got to, like, grow up and find your identity in Jesus and go, okay, even if she is, she said she's not, it's, I can ask her tomorrow, but, like, I'm not going to live I, I can't live in that all day. I have to accept that, that I have to trust her enough to go, you know, I don't think she's lying to me all the time. Um, does that make sense? Um, by the way, if you're like always unsure, you can go, hey, do you feel safe telling me if you're upset? Oh, there's a whole other conversation again you might need help with. Um, but just checking out assumptions. Um, hey, when you were late, did you know you were going to be late? Instead of saying, yeah, I knew you were like, I could just show up whenever and da 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 da. You know, I know you were just hanging with your girls. You didn't care. You were just doing your, it's like, I, I thought you were fine. I thought, does that make sense? Um, so checking out assumptions, super helpful practice. 
uh, for married couples. So again, weekly time together, that's fun, sharing your hearts, getting on the same page, checking out assumptions, uh, physical intimacy, communicating about it. Um, again, very, uh, way more practical today. I also forgot to read from Ephesians and Colossians on the last point. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, but that being said, uh, what I want to do right now is go into communion. Uh, we can hit the lights. Do yeah, yeah. And uh, call up the worship team. Um, I'm going to pray, and, um, uh, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray uh, internally. Uh, I'll give you a second to, to, to sit in silence, um, silence with your words, uh, and then um, we'll go to communion. Um, so would you guys join me, join me in prayer? Uh, Father, in a room this size, there is a ton connected to marriage. For some of us, we are married, and the state of our marriage is not where we think it should be. It certainly isn't where it should be if, if the goal is to reflect who Jesus is to the world. For some of us, um, we've experienced the pain of divorce, and we're walking in the, the aftermath of that, and the pain of that, the confusion often connected to that, maybe even hopelessness connected to that. For others of us, um, we're single and we actually have been kind of communicated to in such a way where um, this topic almost brings up a sense of second-class citizen in the kingdom of God kind of thinking. We feel shame or embarrassed or just annoyed. For some of us, uh, we're married or we're single and we were deeply wounded by the, the, the relationship of our parents or lack thereof the abuse or the betrayal or the abandonment or the adultery, the explosive anger, being caught in the middle between two spouses that weren't healthy. And that's that we're taking that with us into our singleness or into our marriage. And so in a room like this, um, man, there, there's so much uh, sin and there's so much pain. There is sin we have committed that is our fault, that has impacted our relationships, our marriages, our relationships with other people. Whether it's bitterness or betrayal or deceit or explosive anger, self-righteousness and pride, there's sin. But on the flip side, Father, in a room like this, there's also a lot of wounds where we're hurt not because of anything we did, but because of what someone did to us. Whether it was those parents or our grandparents or our ex, our ex-boyfriend, our ex-girlfriend, our ex-spouse, our current spouse, someone who abused us. There are wounds in this room. And I thank you, Jesus, that at the cross, you don't just die to forgive us of our sins, but you die to create space for our shame to be taken away and our wounds to be healed. And Holy Spirit, right now, I pray you would guide our church into a moment with you to be honest about this. 
And so, um, church, I, I want to talk to you now. I'm not praying, but just keep your eyes closed if you can, if you're comfortable. And I'd encourage you to um, just try to get present to this moment. We're only going to be here for about 10 more minutes. But try to get present to this moment. Slow down your breathing if it helps. Feel your feet on the floor, your back in the chair. Tell the Spirit in your own way, I'm here. Holy Spirit, I'm here. I want to hear from you. And Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you would bring to mind both sin and wounds connected to the topic of marriage, our marriages or someone else's. You'd bring to mind what you want to deal with. For some of us, we need to start a journey of repentance in our marriages. We need to make something right. We need to confess something we've been doing. We need to apologize for something that our spouse knows we've been doing, but we don't own it. We need to make it right. We need to give an unqualified apology with no defense. For some of us, we need to ask for help for the first time. We need outside help to help us in our relationship or be more honest with that help for the first time. For some of us, we're realizing the weight of our wounds connected to other people on this topic. Again, it could be our parents, it could be our current spouse, and we need help for hurting. We've been lied to repeatedly. We've been yelled at repeatedly. We've been ignored. We've been stonewalled by our parents, by our spouse, by an ex. And you might be inviting them into a journey of healing, Father, to, 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 to start talking about what's happened to them to get help. So Holy Spirit, I pray you bring to mind what you want to free people from in the area of sin and what you want to heal people of in the area of wounds. That you would invite us into a journey together as the church to become the people you've called us to be, to have the relationships you've called us to have. So again, I would just take a moment, church, and just ask God if there's anything tied to this topic he wants to deal with in you. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd speak and that you give us courage to step into what we need to step into next. In Jesus' name, amen.